0: Nadia, Alice, Gabby, all the team for that lovely time of worship. Am I standing in the way of the words here? Or can everyone see what's behind me? Okay, great. Do I need to send the kids as well? I think the kids are gone. be with you guys this morning, just organize myself over here, um, just find the first page of, of 50, and then we'll be ready to start. Um, I'm very excited to, to share the word this morning, um, before I do that I'm just going to pray, okay, and um, yeah, then we can get into it. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for everyone who is here. We thank you for your word. Father, we pray that you would um, anoint our ears and enable us to see and to hear this morning, Lord, what you would say to us. He who has an ear, let him hear. Enable us to hear and to see. In you alone we trust. Amen. Okay. So, <clears throat> as you can see there, Today we are doing New Covenant Part One. Um, before I get into it, I'll just maybe share. Um, it's sort of following on from where we where we I, I preached a bit last year. On, um, we took some time looking at sort of the well, at the pillars of the gospel. So we spent some time looking at sin, who we are apart from God. We spent some time looking at holy God that He is all loving and all just and all of those characteristics about him and then we spent some time looking at Jesus, fully God, fully man, our mediator to God. And then lastly we spent a bit of time on our response, um, which we shared was, was was to trust. Much like we shared during the worship, it was to have faith in the Son of God. And that means to not merely believe that he exists, but it means to cast all your assurance onto him. Any hope that you have of standing before God and spending eternity with God is completely cast upon the work of Jesus. That is what it means to have faith in Him. And so today, what I'm doing is sort of exploring, um, <coughs> exploring it a little bit deeper. I had it on my heart at the end of the year, but I, I really it was all over in my mind, and I, I didn't know where to land with it. But today, I've, I've, I've landed a little bit somewhere that I can share with you, <coughs> and it's and it's around. It's around inheritance, um, it's around, um, you know, now that having been saved, like the glories of our salvation, they are hints at it all over scripture. Paul talks about a mystery. He talks about the depths. As Aubrey shared that scripture, God actually has to give us strength inside to understand his love. It is not, It is not a textbook thing that you can read up and then just have. God has to enable you to do it. And so, today, Today is just a today and next week, I'm going to look at the New Covenant. And, um, you know, in preparing, as I was looking at it, you see something. And then you think, oh, okay. And then you wait a little while and you say, oh, no, there's something more. Oh, no, there's something more. Oh, no, there's something more. And I think that is exactly why Paul calls it a mystery. Paul writes countless letters to explain it and to, to just really explore it. It is a deep, deep, glorious mystery that the Spirit has to help us to. Them. and um, i started to feel like the psalmist as he says in psalm 40 um, you have multiplied O lord my god your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us none can compare with you i will proclaim and tell of them yet they are more than can be told so this morning i just want you to um, relax i i don't have an a to b and a, with a nice ribbon on top but we are going to just read scripture together and um, I want to encourage you to relax. I don't have, I don't have any um, good questions at the end. It's thought-provoking questions. Dev and Jacques are very good at that. And blesses us. But I don't have that today, so you don't have to prepare yourself for that to give a, the right answer to the strangers in front of you. Um, <clears throat> but you can just relax today. We're going to read scripture together. And honestly, as I looked at it, and, and as I felt God showing me something, I thought, man, this thing is so deep. How am I going to, how am I going to put something together? How am I going to put all these pieces together to explain what I feel like you're showing me, and then you open scripture and you read it and you realize pretty much all of Paul's letters spell it out, Hebrew spells it out, the Old Testament spells it out, you just have to read it, so that is what we're going to do today, okay, so I do have one discussion question which we will get to, but if we can go to the first slide there, (laughs) but it's a very simple one, So this, in actually in preparing, I was just copy-pasting my old PowerPoint to make the new one, and I saw that this was actually the scripture we ended on in my last sermon. So, and it's a good place to start. But it's Luke 22, and it says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant, go to the next scripture. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So we see in the words of Jesus and in the words of Paul, they are talking about a new covenant, which must mean there was an old covenant. So um, bri- briefly, I won't get into the technical... Um, Things about covenants, one can get very technical, but suffice it to say, it is it is more than an agreement or a contract or a promise or a "yes, I will do that." It is the closest thing we have to it is marriage, and it is say it, it is to say, "Till death do us part." Like I'm not going to step out when it's not really working for me anymore or when it's a bit difficult. I'm here. I'm here. Till death do us part in sickness and and um, that is the closest picture we have. And so, God, through Scripture, we will read about covenants. It's not a word we hear a lot today, but marriage is a good example of it. So, um, just with people around you, two or three, just share what you understand. If we say there is an old covenant and a new covenant, what do you understand by that? So, I'll give about five or so minutes just to send your thoughts in that direction, and um, and then we'll, then we'll keep. okay. See some very good, very good, um, very good discussion going on. All the teachers in the back are pulling it out from over here. Oh no, Aubrey's gone back. From Abraham, he's gone to the other covenant before this one, and he's like, "On it." See, Louis given genre the teaching already. That's like all, all settled then. But um, I hope um, that was just to to get us thinking about it. I I, I don't think about it a great deal. Um, I'm not sure about you guys, but. Um, Before I launch into the scripture, I want us to think about it. And so, and and if you have wrong answers, it's fine. Um, We're all here to learn from the Lord. So I'm going to read from us in Exodus 34. And So the context is that God has delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, where they were slaves, and Moses was the man who led them out. God used Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. So now they are out of Egypt, and they are free, out in the open, in the wilderness, and God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai to speak with him. So Moses goes up to the mountain and the Israelites stay behind. So as yet, they're basically just out of Egypt. There's no structure to how they're living. There's no... They don't even have the Ten Commandments yet. They've got nothing yet. But God is calling Moses up to the mountain. And now Moses... Um, Moses is talking to the Lord. And God says to him, and he said, Behold... I am making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Later on in verse 27, And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days. 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So this is the first time that God makes a covenant with his people. So there are, there are lots of covenants in the Old Testament. God made a covenant with Abraham. And if you zoom out even more, you can see oh, like what God was doing. You know, the, the covenant that he made with Abraham was like a pointer to the new covenant. But in between, yeah, God has made a covenant with Israel. And he gives them the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law later on. So um, the Israelites are chosen by God as a people. He makes a covenant and he gives them the law through Moses to to define a a couple of things for them as a people. And then he has an interesting part that I want to read for us from verse 29 to verse 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone, because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. After all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai when Moses had finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now what I want us to remember there, to take note of, is, is Moses' shining face. Um, might seem strange, but literally what is happening is that he was he was spending time with God, God is speaking to him, and it was like the, glo- the glory of the God shone out of his face when he went back. It's almost, I think Seahous has used this example before, but he was playing with his child, he was playing with glitter, and then when he had spent time with his child, who had, was busy with the glitter, he walked away, and next It was almost something like that. There was a transfer of something from that communion, from that fellowship. And this is what we have with Moses. Fellowshiping with God, he comes out and the glory of God has actually caused his face to shine. So we see at the start, the Israelites are very afraid of this. Something has happened to Moses and this is not what we understand. And you're freaking us out a little bit, Moses. Why do you look like this? And so they stay away. And then Moses says, okay, now Aaron... Aaron, who was his right-hand man, um, he says, Aaron, you come, the elders of the congregation, come. It's fine. Um, I'll, I'll sort this out. I'll get a veil or something. But And he and he talks with them, and then it says, later on, the people also then come. And I think what's what's good to notice there, because we're going to talk about it later, um, when we talk about the new covenant, is the transferal of glory to Moses' face, and that the people were actually afraid of that. They... Understand it, and they would rather. Um, and then there were there were kind of levels almost. If you think of God here yeah, talking with Moses, and the people, there were a couple of um, kind of steps between the people actually getting what came from God's mouth, he came to Moses, and then Moses shared it with Aaron and the elders, and they did their thing, and then they shared it with the people. So there were ranks in a sense between the people and God. <coughs> Um, we must also. I want us to also remember Moses' veil. So that gets referred to in the New Testament, which and it might might not understand it when it comes in the, um, in the New Testament. But here we have Moses's veil. So he literally put a screen over his face to kind of, yeah, the glory was too much, so they put a veil over it, and, and then it was fine. So there was a veil to veil that glory of God. Um, later on in very veil so that's why i want you to remember it. and i want us to also remember in luke it talks about the veil that was in the temple so we had moses with a veil after coming from god later on down in the history of israel when a temple was built there was there was there were ranks almost or sections in the temple in the middle was the holy of holies where the presence of god was and there were again gateways that some could go through and others could only the high priest once a year after doing, shedding a lot of blood and killing a lot of animals for his sins and all the sons of the people could go to the Holy of Holies. And there was actually a veil, a thick curtain separating that place from the rest of the temple. As we know from Luke, it says when Jesus died on the cross and he breathed his last, the temple shook and that curtain in the temple tore in half. And so that is it's very, very powerful. consistency of symbology that we see in scripture so we must pay careful heed to it okay i'm going to read a little bit from us from from deuteronomy just to show us what was the nature of the mediation of this covenant so again it's it's like biblical language that comes in the new testament but when there is a covenant there is a mediator of that covenant and there is also a nature of that covenant how does this covenant work what are its characteristics I want to read quickly from us from Deuteronomy five, um, so we can we can have a sense of the mediation of the old covenant, and that's from verse twenty two to thirty one. So we'll just we'll just read together these words that the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness. So quickly, some context: Moses is talking to the Israelites again, and he's Deuteronomy repeats a lot of the parts of Exodus. but So he's talking about this covenant to them. And he says, These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice. And he added, No more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us His glory and greatness, and we have heard His voice out of the midst of the fire. This day, when we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God? Speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have, and has still lived. Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say, and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you, and we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them their descendants forever go and say to them return to your tents but you stand here by me and i will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them that they may do them in the land that i'm giving them to possess you shall be careful therefore to walk as the lord your god has commanded you you shall not turn aside to the right or to the left you shall walk in all the way that the lord your god has commanded you that you may live it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. So we see there, a frightening thing. The, the Israelites see the glory of God from afar, and they're actually terrified by it. Um, but it's, it's interesting to observe it. Moses somehow um, is able to hear the voice of God directly and live. God has covered Moses in a way. He's covered Moses with the grace that Moses wasn't especially more holy than the other Israelites. He had actually killed There's some things to be to look at there that the glory of God was that terrifying that the Israelites said actually we don't want that. I think it's better, Moses. We think better, Moses. You go and get from him. You tell the others and they tell us, and then we'll just do whatever is said. And on the one hand, God is saying these these people have a true fear of me. In a sense, they can actually see they they are not um, blasé about my presence. They are not flippant or God actually commends them. He says these people actually fear me, but He almost knows. God actually knows where they're going, what they're going to do eventually. He says, "I just wish they could revere me like this always." Um, So we see that, and so in many ways, the old covenant had to work like that. You had priests and mediators between God and. To look a little bit at the nature of this covenant. So that's in Deuteronomy 6 from verse 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And in that, it's, it's going to make sense later when we read the New Testament, that we see the nature of this covenant. It is it is to be written on the doorposts, it's to be kind of worn as a sign on your arm, or as a frontlet, is just like a thing that you wear. Not many of us wear frontlets these days, but it's like, it's just there. And it's a reminder. So there were lots of external reminders. And the whole culture of Israel was a reminder that that they are a covenant people. Um, So there were a lot of external things in place. There were Sabbaths and festivals and all of these things. And the crowning thing at the top of that was the law that he gave to Moses. So the Israelites had this. And that was how they were a covenant people with God. But what I want you to notice, because it contrasts when you talk about the New Testament, is that it is very much external. You have the people of God, and there's a covenant. And the terms of the covenant, the realities of how, and the workings of that covenant are externally applied to them. Um, and then, so that is basically the first covenant. We see the mediation, and we see its nature. And then we know there's a new covenant. So so why why, why is there a new covenant might ask well how did the old covenant go how how did things turn out with the old covenant um might feel like a strange question to ask you might even feel hesitant to ask that but you'll see later the new testament writers really say well this and this and this and this reason the old covenant did not work and we had to have a new covenant um but the whole old testament chronicles the life of israel under the old covenant a history of good, good. There's some great examples. There's some bad. There's a, the whole history of I- Israel after this covenant has been made with God. is a very mottled history, um, and and we see where it went, how it, you know, when you go back into the to the Gospels and you start reading of Jesus's encounters with the Pharisees, who were the custodians of that covenant, you see, oh, okay, Jesus has quite a problem with how things have turned out man has done with the covenant man has stepped in and he's become the big deal of the covenant and so you see it that even though israel lived under this law and under the old testament law and all of those terms of the covenant almost all of the prophets you'll notice are words either to a people who have completely disregarded the laws and they've just turned away and they've done their own thing and the prophets are crying out to them saying remember God remember when he took you out of Egypt and it, they, their appeals are to people like that or to people who have the commandments are keeping the commandments are keeping the festivals and the sacrifices and all the ritualistic things but their hearts are far from God so we see that it was it was never enough for the people of God to just have a law and then sort of do the law or, or even do the law well all the time we see the best examples in scripture, even if you think of David, was someone who had a, a heart after God. So even in the Old Testament, God was never about just people, who robots who could do the rules. He was about people whose hearts were after him. And and similarly, if you look at David and you think of Jesus' words, when they get, they're getting funny with Jesus about him doing some, uh, healing someone on the Sabbath, he says, don't you know what David did? David actually broke the law as well on the Sabbath when he was with his soldiers and they picked grain and they did what they did um we see in the history of israel under the old covenant what was important to god the rules the law were given but, but god wanted the hearts he wanted the hearts and we hear that all over scripture these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me he says i do not desire your rules and your things who you know who are you that you should feed me in this is very clear all through the Old Testament of what he really wants from his people. But unfortunately, the Pharisees in that um, legalistic system and, and the New Testament chronicles it beautifully. When Jesus All of Jesus' encounters um, with them. And so, it's a little bit of background info, um, which you might not know. Um, is So, in Jewish terms, you know, the first five books of the Bible that we have are called the Pentateuch. And that's kind of like the Torah. That's like the written Torah, the written law. But then there was oral law as well. So there was interp- there were commandments that were given that weren't explicit enough. So Jewish rabbis and leaders had to interpret that for the people. And then they still had to interpret those interpretations again. And so you had the Torah. Then you had the Mishnah, which was an interpretation of the Torah. And then you had the Gemara, which filled in the gaps that the Mishnah left out. And those two formed the Talmud they were to explain the Torah. And, I mean, an example of this, one of the key things that stands out is it says, as we read now, that you shall have this law as frontlets between your eyes and as something bound on your hands. Volumes of explanation were written by the rabbis on, okay, so what material must this be made out of? How big must it be? Who must it what, what shape must it be? There was, you know, something like that you can sort of see the heart of God. God wants you to remember his commandments. They've taken the commandments, and said, okay, cool, let's execute this. You do this. I mean, how are we going to do this? Okay, Rabbi so-and-so says that it must be 10 centimeters long by five meters wide. And then later on in that system, the guys get very proud of themselves and they say, well, mine's actually six by 10 and so I'm a bit more holy than you. Then someone else comes in, and can hardly carry his head because he's got a massive phylactery on his head trying to boast about how holy he is. (laughs) And you had... And that is what you see all over Jesus' the encounters with him, how he gets so frustrated with him. He says, you guys were straining at gnats. And so a gnat is like a michi. If that fell in your milk or it fell in your food, that food is not unclean. So the Pharisees, were they were super diligent about straining out the gnats so that they could become the righteous and consider themselves righteous. Jesus says, you guys are so blind, you swallow a camel. You're so, you're so particular about that thing. You've lost the plot completely. You've missed God's heart. And you've made this legalistic system for yourselves to prop yourselves up and to crush others. That's when when Jesus, he rails at them and he says, you guys shut the kingdom of God in people's faces. Because people would come hungry for the Lord and the Pharisees would say, boom. Have you done this, 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 and this? Okay, fine. I can fix it. Listen to me. And I will mediate you. I will help you. Jesus lost it with the Pharisees. said the Pharisees would go over sea and land to win converts, one convert from another country, bring him back and make him worse than they were. Clean on the outside, rotten on the inside. Perfect in form, good, a good showing but rotten, hypocritical full of hatred on the inside. And they would bind these, these Jesus says they would bind loads onto the people loads of legalistic requirements before they could come to God put a massive pack on a sincere person's back and say let's see how you do. Jesus said you guys put these massive loads on but you're not ready to lift a finger to help them. So these are quite riveting Well, I'll explain some other things a bit more. But for now, um, I'm just going to stick to what I've got here. But we will explore. Because these, these things are difficult for us sometimes. Jesus says some things about the law that we might not understand. And then we're like, okay, so do we have to do some Mosaic law? Or, or is it just, I don't know, how do we know how much of the Mosaic law? Or do we not do it at all? How does that work? I don't know if you guys have those questions. But I, I sometimes do. And um, But we'll explore that a little bit next week. But, it to say, covenant people under the law, missing the heart of God, pursuing a legalistic righteousness of their own, missing God the And the prophets throughout the ages said, "What are you guys doing?" Jesus comes at the end, says to the Pharisees, "Missing it. What are you doing?" Okay. With his disciples, I'm about to go to the cross, my body is broken for you. This is my blood for the new covenant. So one thing that is if you really want to read about covenants, Hebrews explains it beautifully. But blood was always part of a covenant. Jesus said, This blood that I'm about to shed on the cross is the blood that opens up the new covenant. It's the basis on which the new covenant is founded. So I want us to turn to Hebrews eight and verse six to thirteen see what what, how do the New Testament writers talk about the New Covenant Mm. Guys, doing okay As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he, that is Jesus, finds fault with them when he says, Behold, and this is now a quote from Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied this. Under the old covenant he prophesied. what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And I don't know about you, but what strikes me, is, um, and we'll see later some of the strong terms of Paul as well in how they talk about the old covenant. Now that the new covenant is here, said the old one is obsolete. Um, growing old, ready to vanish away. So what we see there in scripture and, and we'll contrast with all the things that we've just seen about the old covenant but first of all the, the scriptural writers just say this covenant is better. It's, better it's enacted on better promises the ministry that Christ has under this covenant is much more excellent than Moses and all the Levitical priests and what they did and Paul in Corinthians later says by comparison you know this at one stage had some glory Moses face was even shining but by comparison That old covenant has no glory at all compared to the new covenant. And this I think what excites me the most is for myself I realise I think my grasp of the new covenant is really shallow. It's possibly like a bit half baked sort of. Yeah, I understand maybe a few things about the new covenant and a little bit of the old covenant, but the writers are saying the new covenant blows the old covenant out of the water in a sense. And I don't know if it's exciting to you guys. You understand the new covenant through and through but it's very exciting for me to explore the new covenant okay so they say it's better and it says that fault was found with the old by God by Christ himself Hebrews says there before he finds fault with it when he says I'm going to make a new covenant the new covenant is not like the old it is not an improved version of what they already had it wasn't a 2.0 that was somehow just a little bit better than what they had It is completely other. It is is not more laws. It is not even, you know, the New Testament is not more laws just to add on to the old ones so that we can hopefully do a bit better. It it is completely different in essence and in nature. And that's what we see in the Old Testament. We saw it says, write it on your door. Write it on the thing. Put it around your head and in your arm. God says here in the New Testament, I'm going to write it on their hearts. I'm going to put it into their minds. And this makes me start to think, Paul sometimes talks about a new creation. You have been made new in Christ. What is he talking about? You know, It's not trying harder, trying new other laws. It's, we have a new nature. And that is where I feel I have a shallow grasp. And so I'm hoping to explore it with you guys. Um, but what we also see is that God says, I will remember their sins and their Hebrews lays this out beautifully. The priests in the Old Covenant sacrificed year after year after year after year, year the same sins for the same people, and sin was never dealt a death blow, like that final blow. You know, when we sing about the work of the cross being finished, it is finished, it is done. Jesus, in dying on the cross in the New Covenant, deals a death blow to sin that it cannot get up from. Under the Old Covenant, you could sin, go to the priest, slay some animals, be clean, go back. Oh, he's actually still powerless to even beat that. Sin. So you just go in that cycle. Sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice. But you remain the same person. You never overcome those sins, no matter how hard you try. And the more you try and define what is a sin, you add more laws, just like the Pharisees did. You know? um, so as Hebrews says, Christ did a sacrifice once for all. It is not repeated. Also, see here, as we read in the old covenant, says Moses, I'm going to teach you the old covenant, and you will teach it to the other people, and these people will teach it to one another to make sure that they know me and that they keep this covenant. God says, In the new covenant, I'm going to put the laws right into their minds and in their hearts, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. No more Aaron, then the elders, and then somewhere down there, the people having a piece of God by a broken telephone down the way. God says those ranks, I'm doing away with. From the least to the greatest, the least to the greatest. The rest of our life is structured, greatest, least. When you go to work, there's a greatest and there's a least. Everywhere you go, wherever you go, we see that, we know that. That is how the world functions. God says that's not how I function with my people when I deal with them directly. Yes, he's got his, you know, he's got way that he facilitates his family and he's the authority and in a healthy way he parents us as a father. So there's structure and authority involved but as far as access to God is concerned there is no distinction. Paul later says it's not as if the Jews have more access and the Gentiles less, as if men have more access and women less or as if you're a free man you get closer to God but the slaves will just have to wait and life Paul says and maybe I'll just share that with you. Like, sometimes when you're trying to s- study something from the word, you think, Oh, I going to learn about predestination or some heavy topic. And you go, Okay, cool. I'll just Jump up." You've got like, some good teachings. And you, the moment you start reading that stuff, you realize, I'm nowhere. I'm nowhere compared to this guy. And you can almost feel a burden of, Sure, to really know God, I see a path of scholarship, I see a path of study. I have to be What's revealed about me when I see that is that I don't know anything. But I want to encourage you, no, like just no to that. That is not how God works, from the least to the greatest. A person who has never been to school, a person who doesn't have a house, who doesn't have money, must be able to, able to understand the gospel, be reconciled to God, know God as much as all of us who are very well educated, most of us, and um, have lots of accolades. So those ranks are abolished. God places his laws into our minds. The old covenant is obsolete and old and is vanishing away. So before we... I'm going to end now with... um, We're going to read 2 Corinthians 3 and you're going to see he's going to repeat a lot of the same... Well, not really repeat, but from a different angle. Paul talks to the Corinthians about the new covenant. And yeah, we're getting to like the tip of the iceberg of, of the glories of the new covenant. And we really have to trust God by his spirit to give us strength. To understand His love, to understand how He saves us, what He saves us from, and, and what has happened now, what has happened. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna take some steps through two Corinthians three. I'm sure we're gonna read the whole chapter, so um, you can settle in and just and just read it. Um, but just before we start, I'm gonna give some backdrop because it'll sound funny. So the thing, the backdrop to two Corinthians is that super-apostles have come into the Corinthian church, all that refers to them in the later chapters, as super-apostles, uh, that have come in, and seemingly it's the same thing that he had to war with in Galatia, and all the other churches in those letters, but you had super-apostles coming in, in the name of the Lord, claiming something, to all the new Christians, and now wanting to add something else. A lot of the time, it was Mosaic law. They would say, like, your salvation in Jesus is great and all, but But actually, to be the people of God, you need to be circumcised. And you need to do this, this, and this. And Paul, the Jew of Jews, the Pharisee of Pharisees, the best among the best of all the Jewish people, has to fight this. And he knows. I mean, that is the great thing. He's not some Gentile who says, "Ah, I don't want to do the law. I'm going to come up with an argument against it. He was the best Jew. And so he has to defend his new congregations from other people coming in and saying, to supplement your faith in Christ, you must add this Jewish piece of... Law or this custom or this ritual to complete your salvation. Paul says, Not a chance. And he has authority to do that because he was the best. He was a better Pharisee than all of them. And that's what he does in chapter 11. So there were super apostles coming to say, and they came with letters of commendation to the congregation and said, You know, so and so gave me this reference and referral, and, you know, I'm a big deal. Listen to what I have to say. So they had this, and and Paul is, is saying, It's despicable to him call these people false apostles because they're not actually coming with the gospel. They're coming in the name of the Lord but they're bringing something else. Um, Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need as some do letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For well, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death Because of the glory that has surpassed it, or that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away yes to this day whenever Moses is read the veil lies over their hearts but when one turns to the Lord the veil is removed now the Lord or this Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Well this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul draws out some massive contrasts. First of all he says like begon with these super apostles we don't need to we don't need letters and CVs from others to commend ourselves to you. He says you yourselves are our letter and he says it's not written on tablets of stone it's written on tablets of human hearts, of fleshly hearts he goes in contrast and he talks about the covenant of the letter. This is the covenant of the Spirit. He says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The covenant of the letter was a ministry of death. The new covenant is a ministry of righteousness. The old covenant has come to have no glory at all because it has been surpassed by the new covenant. The old covenant has been brought to an end. The new covenant is permanent. So there's some powerful things in here that Paul is talking about, and <clears throat> I think really what we've drawn out today is, is the difference between the two. The new covenant is completely other; the old covenant has passed away. And for us, what remains is is just to clarify these things in our hearts, because maybe it's confusing. It's been confusing for me at times. I felt like I need to do some of the law, maybe because it's like good. the Galatians says if you want to do some of the law, you're going to have to do all of the law. You don't have an option to, to serve Christ you know. oh, thank you for your righteousness Christ but also remember my righteousness according to the law Lord remember Jesus says and we'll talk about that next week you've died that was a marriage that you had that has died that covenant is over a you come married to me now So the, the, the veil says the Lord the Lord deals with the veil and there's like a bit of things that he talks about here, but he says the one the Lord removes the veil so who's the Lord he says the Lord is the Spirit so on the one hand you have the super apostles coming in the name of the Lord denying the Spirit denying the work of the Spirit denying a new creation denying sanctification by the blood of Jesus and promoting sanctification by something else Paul is saying here if you come in the name of the Lord but deny the rest of the new covenant, the spirit. It's not the Lord. He says the Lord is recognize The Lord who does this is the Spirit. And how do you recognise him? He's recognizable by the freedom. And in the Old Testament you had people coming to God and Pharisees adding greater burdens onto them before they could come to God. The Spirit of the Lord comes and he's recognizable by his freedom. You recognize it and then you encounter it when he does when you when you meet the Lord, when he yeah, when you encounter him and you you give your life to him, and he sets you free. And so the last thing that I'll just mention is, is that we, as he says, we with all, with unveiled face, not like Moses, we behold the glory of the Lord. What's interesting in the footnotes, it says, um, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, or reflecting the glory of the Lord, of being transformed from one image into another. So you see both of those things, with all those ranks removed, we come into the presence of the God and we, of God and we behold him, we behold His glory and the word says that we are transformed by that. We are transformed into that same image. The, the image of the glory of God that we are beholding, when we spend time with him, when we walk with him, when we walk by the Spirit, he, he transforms us into that same glory and then we actually also, like Moses, are made shining. We reflect that out. So before you had God, Shiny face Moses, people getting the crumbs from the table. Now all of us have shiny faces. Beholding the Lord, being transformed. And I and I think as as we said earlier, we believe this, but believe means to trust in. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes you think, Yo, if I really if, if if my best efforts, my best fleshly attempts at righteousness were gone. Would, would I be made righteous? You know, where would I be? Would I just become a degenerate sinner? The Scriptures are saying, like, when you be when you're in the New Covenant and you behold the Lord and you walk by the Spirit, He does change you. And I suppose the question to us is, like, do we believe this? Do we do we put our hopes on that? That God is going to do that? That God will change you when you spend time with Him? Or are you going to entertain some little legalisms on the side just to prop yourself up in case that fails? You can't do that. You can't have both. And God really calls us to let go of that and to trust Him. We are a new creation. Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who come to Him. He doesn't let you go. And in in, in one sense, He doesn't need your self effort to do it. He just needs you to come to Him. You just need to behold Him. And the Word says, you will be changed. And I suppose that's the end of my appeal today, is that we approach God with faith. And when it comes to our sanctification, you know, as, as much of a blow as that can be, sometimes. Oh man, I failed again. Oh man, I did this wrong again. Whatever. Come to God. Come to God, and believe that His Spirit will change you as you spend time with Him. Amen. But oh yeah, I think we should worship a little. If you don't mind. And so as we worship, I really just want to create the time for you to worship God and respond to Him in your heart. As I said, I don't have prodding questions or next steps for you. <laughs> I think interestingly with the Spirit, that's the irony of it, is, is the moment you want to maybe turn it into a program, you've actually reverted to something that is not like the New Covenant. You want to take control of it and measure it and, and be, you know, be on top of it. So, But as I say, this is a mystery that we're exploring. There is no tidy ribbon on the top, and we're exploring it together. But I want to just really open the space for you to respond to God, speak with Him, pray to Him, however the Spirit prompts you.